Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is full of uh, uh, right hand of falsehood. Those are verses 5 through 8 of Psalm 144, which along with Psalm 137 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, July the 3rd, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for listening today. We're continuing our study in the uh, books of First Samuel and Acts, and also in the Gospel according to Luke. So remember yesterday, what we had was Jonathan, the son of Saul, took his armor-bearer, and, and they were even the even the army was vastly outnumbered. There were 600 Israelites. There were who knows literally how many Philistines in the army that was arrayed against them. Because we're told there's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and a multitude of soldiers. There were enough, in fact, that they were like the sand on the seashore, which is obviously an allusion back to the promise God gave to Abraham. And so now the the Israelites are grossly outnumbered. But not only is there there are 600 of them. Jonathan and his armor bearer go by themselves and begin this battle against the Philistines. And what they begin becomes a rout, but, but not as great as it could have been, as we find out today from the um, First Samuel lesson. Because what we see is the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. The multitude refers to the Philistines who were panicked because of Jonathan and his armor bearer's attack on the garrison, which confused them utterly as to what had happened and how the garrison had been lost, the outpost, those who were, who were watching the movement of the Israelites. And so they, they don't know what's going on. They panicked when they saw that the garrison had been overtaken. And Saul said to the people, count and see who is gone from us. Because he didn't know. He had no earthly idea what had happened. But it must have been something from within the Israelite camp that caused this. So they counted and beheld Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God was at that time went with the people of Israel. So they took it into battle sort of as a talisman and a good luck charm. Um, and remember the priest that's here. Uh, is the son of Eli, one of the worthless sons of Eli who had been rejected and who were ultimately killed in, in battle soon, in fact. So while he was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more, and he said to the priest, withdraw your hand. In other words, get out of the way. We get, it's time to go into battle. So he stopped the priest from doing whatever he was doing. Then Saul and the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Remember, the Israelites didn't actually have swords. Nobody but Jonathan and Saul had swords. And so they turned on one another, the Philistines did. And there was great confusion. The Hebrews, who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So what we're learning here is that some of the people of Israel kind of saw where their bread might be buttered. They saw that it might be better to be in the Philistine camp than it might be to be in the Israelite camp. And they had, they had turned and gone with the enemy. And they were in the camp. But now, when they see this happening, suddenly they decide, nope, I am truly an Israelite, and I will fight with them. <clears throat> Saw this same kind of thing happen in, in Rwanda, actually. I mean, I didn't see it. I was there after all that happened. But in 1994, the, the genocide 
uh, in Rwanda, where about 800,000 people were killed in 90 days, was largely brought about by an, an insurrection, uh, a rebel army coming into Rwanda. And that army was led pr- primarily by the Tutsi, who had been forced out of Rwanda from beginning at about 1964 forward, um, because the persecution the, uh, against the Tutsi broke out at that time, and they were the, many had fled and gone to Uganda and the sur- other surrounding countries, and so what happened was is that they helped um, Museveni uh, gain power in Uganda over Idi Amin, and the quid pro quo was is that that as soon as you're installed in power and, and you're in a place where you're secure, then then you will help us by financing us primarily as we form an army in exile and we go back into Rwanda to take over. And so saw a lot of that, the same basic idea here where, they, where it looked like people had gone over to the other side, but actually they were, they were doing it for a totally different reason. And so here we see the, these Israelites who had gone over to the Philistines and now they turned on the Philistines and joined Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, all those people who had hidden themselves in the caves and the tombs and the cisterns and all that kind of stuff, they came out because they heard that the Philistines were fleeing as well, and they followed hard after them in battle. And so the Lord saved Israel that day. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul laid an oath on the people, saying, "'Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I'm avenged on my enemies.'" So the, the people were, were hard-pressed, which is to say that they were under a lot of stress and under a lot of pressure in this battle, and so they needed to keep pressing into the battle. And so Saul says, nobody is to take a break even to eat during this day until I am avenged on my enemies. Remember what I said yesterday about Jonathan? The secret of Jonathan's greatness was that it wasn't about him. Did you hear that? Nobody can eat until I am avenged on my enemies. It's all about Saul. So none of the people that day had tasted food. When the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. So they saw honey dripping on the ground from, from the nest that it, was, that it was in. And so, But no one touched it. But Jonathan hadn't heard his father make that, uh, that oath or that curse. So he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, dipped it in the honeycomb, and put it to his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. In other words, he was strengthened by that honey. By eating that honey, he, he, he regained his strength, which is normal, right? I mean, we went hiking yesterday. It was a really hot day here. We went out, and it was, a, it was not a difficult hike, and it wasn't even a particularly long hike, but it was hot. And so at the end of that, I mean, I needed something desperately. And so I came home, and I needed more than water, and so I went and got a berry smoothie because I needed the strength that would come from that and to be restored for the rest of what I had to do for the day. But even more so in this battle like this. And so the people see this and they say, oh, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. I mean, they're dying. And it's because of Saul's curse. It's completely his fault. Because he makes this whole thing about himself. And Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found? For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. In other words, it's compromised. It's not as great as it could have been had my father not said a stupid thing. 
and prohibited the people from eating. They would have recovered their strength, and they would have pressed this even further and even harder. And the victory was diminished because of Saul's stupid oath that he took here. But again, it's because it's about him. He's not thinking about the Lord. He's not thinking about anything else. In fact, he turned the priest away. Even though he's a worthless priest, he turned him away from the work that he was doing. Here, let go. I got to go now. I got to go do this thing. Saul had a problem. He had a serious problem. He liked to take matters into his own hands and not trust the Lord. And that was the problem. Everything was about him. And he, he didn't wait. He couldn't wait. Could never be bothered to wait. So now, remember, we have yesterday in the gospel lesson, we had gone with Jesus to Golgotha, and there we met Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross. And then we also met these women of Jerusalem who were crying over Jesus, and he told them, don't weep for me. It's going to get a whole lot worse for y'all. This is the easy part. He says, the persecution is going to be even worse than this. This is just about, it's not about me. It's about you. And so Jesus is praying for them even as he staggers his way to Golgotha. He's praying for them and he's telling them not to worry about him because he knows everything's going to be fine. And, And then... What we get today is, in my mind, this is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture you'll ever read. But it's only only beautiful because of the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, this is the saddest thing you'll ever read. So what we get is there were two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one at his right and one at his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, the people who were tormenting him and crucifying him, for they know not what they do. They're ignorant. They're under a, a satanic curse, essentially. They're, they're under a demonic deception. They honestly don't know what they're doing. They've been carried away by the work of Satan here. And so he takes pity on them. And, and we need to have more of that in us, in my mind, um, and, and especially in times when there is persecution in any way. We, we need to recognize that those who come against us are suffering under a demonic deception. You know, the new atheism... It's a pain in the neck to deal with these people, but the reality is they're under demonic deception. We need to take pity on them. We need to pray for them the same way that Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him and crucified him. It's important that we develop that attitude that we understand, like Paul did, that our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers, and we need to fight the battle that way. We need to fight it on our knees. We need to fight it in prayer rather than, than fighting with people. And the people, they, so they cast, cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by. So this is just the common people standing by, but the, and they're just watching. But the rulers of the people, the, the Jewish rulers, scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. What's going on here is that this is not about Jesus, but they're making it about him. He saved others. Let him save himself. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And so that's the basis for that taunt. But again, what is it? They're trying to make it about Jesus. And everything that he's doing at that cross is about you. It's about me. It's about them. The people, very people who were taunting him. If it's just about Jesus... And he comes down from that cross in an instant. It's a wonderful measure of his love that he didn't do it. 
because most of us would have. We would have come down from that cross. We would have showed the power that we had to come down from that cross. But if he had, then we would have been lost. Everything would have been lost. Everything about your future hopes depends on Jesus staying on that cross and, and not losing his cool. And he does. And so one of the criminals then, even, you know, so we've got the rulers of the people, we've got the soldiers, and now we have one of the criminals. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. It's about him. <laughs> He's not concerned about Jesus saving himself. But the only way that he can save us is to save himself first, right? And so he's begging for that. But Jesus' mission is far greater, far bigger than that. And the other rebuked him, Don't you fear God since we're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man's done nothing wrong. And then this guy looks at this other man on the cross. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Greatest statement of faith you'll ever see. Unbelievable. One man hanging on a cross looks at another man hanging on a cross and sees a king coming into his kingdom. Can you imagine? I mean, it's, it's crazy what he says. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This day, this very day after we die. I won't get into Jewish beliefs about the afterlife right now, but what they essentially believe, I'll give you the quick version, what they essentially believe, that the soul goes into a place called paradise, which is um, akin to the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. And the soul remains there until after the resurrection of the dead. And, and then at the resurrection of the dead, it comes back to everlasting life, not not to heaven, but to earth. And so... Jesus promises that man he'll be with him today in paradise. And, and this, the faith that he had to see in another man dying on a cross as a king, coming into a kingdom that day, is beyond human imagination, to be perfectly honest with you. Nobody saw it that day except this one man who himself was a criminal who said, I deserve what I'm, ta- what I'm getting here. But his great faith and his confession of sin and of Jesus become for him eternal life. Now Paul, remember, yesterday he's been struck down, struck blind in, in on the way to Damascus. And there's a man there in Damascus, and his name's Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he responded like every good Jewish man does, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Are you serious? That guy? I'm supposed to walk up to him and, and let him know that I'm a Christian. Do you know what he'll do with me if I do that? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That, to me, is one of the most amazing things about Saul. God said, I'm going to show you everything that you're going to have to suffer for my name. But he was willing to do it because of grace. Because he knew the mercy of God. He knew that he deserved to die. He was like the thief on the cross. He knew what his sin was as soon as he heard, I am Jesus from heaven. And, and so he knew that in order to receive mercy, 
he must be willing to do anything and suffer any indignity for that. And we do see that he does because he tells us at the end of Second Corinthians, he catalogs the sufferings that he has. And, and he signed up and said, yep, I'll do it. Because he knew that he only had one option, right? The only option was Jesus. And so whatever, whatever he required of him, he would do. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Taking food like Jonathan, <laughs> he was strengthened. And so the Lord raised up this man, Ananias, to be the one to do that. And, and like Simon of Cyrene, what a, what a great joy, and what a, what a great joy it must have been for Ananias for the rest of his life to point and say, you know what, I'm the one God chose to anoint that man and send him out in ministry. It was through my prayer that that man received the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful for God choosing me and allowing me to be part of the work that he was doing because I'm nothing. I didn't even want to go. But because I did, God used me in a powerful way and I'm forever grateful. I'm a part of Saul's ministry because God chose me to go and anoint that man. Are we willing to step into places where we have fear and do the work of God? Because if we are, then what might actually happen is we would see great and amazing things that God does. It, it's one of the things that I've preached over and over again. There's two things that I can always reliably believe that, that God says to his people. And, and one of those things is fear not. The first thing is follow me. But the second thing is fear not. And the reason he always has to say fear not to his people is, is if you're willing to go and you're willing to follow him and do his will, he's going to send you into places where you're way over your head like Jonathan was, way over your head like Saul, Paul was, way over your head like this criminal on the cross with Jesus was. Are you willing to go in spite of your fears in order that you might see great things? Because that's the promise. 